0: Through times of calm and crisis, BNY Mellon's perspective has made us the trusted steward of the financial system. To help our clients make even stronger decisions, our experts consider everything as they explore the many angles of the financial markets, investing, and business. Welcome to BNY Mellon Perspectives. I'm Brenda Tsai, your host and Chief Marketing Officer of BNY Mellon. Today, we'll be looking at megatrends that have the most profound impact on financial services globally. These include the rise of the individual investor as retirement savings shift, the importance of technology, and of course, geopolitical shifts and resulting economic impacts. Despite the volatility and uncertainty of our current environment, the response from financial services companies around the world has been largely consistent. They're emphasizing two things purpose and value in their investments, operations, and workforces as they think about how they can grow profitably and sustainably in the coming months and years. To help us better understand how these themes of purpose and value are coming to life in financial services, I'm excited to welcome Hani Koblali, Chairman of International who assumed oversight of Bank of New York Mellons, European, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, and Latin American activities in January of this year. Representing the breadth of our businesses in 34 countries, Hanny works closely with our largest global clients. Thanks for joining us, Hanny.
1: Thanks so much, Brenda. Great to be with you.
0: So, Hanny, let's start with your role. Tell us a bit about your coverage, who you interact with, and how you serve the industry.
1: Thank you, Brenda. So, BNY Mellon is headquartered in the U.S., but we have significant presence globally, with really nearly. Half of our employees based outside of the U.S. I work with our regional leads for EMEA, APAC, and Latin America, and a small central global team to ensure a few things. First of all, that our strategy in these regions is aligned with our corporate goals and priorities, ensuring we have the strategic presence, the capabilities, the permissions, and the legal entities we need to deliver for our clients, that we have the right talent in place, and that they are motivated and engaged, um, that we have the appropriate focus on risk management, regulatory compliance, and governance arrangements to grow our business responsibly, and that we have the culture in place to act as a positive agent for change within the company, the industry and the communities in which we operate around the world.
0: Wow, that's quite a big scope and a great purview to some of the biggest trends happening all across the world. It feels like more and more our experiences are shared now, not just individually or in locally, but globally. In your view, what are the biggest mega trends that are affecting our industry today?
1: Well, there's um, there's a few. And maybe I'll focus on three that we're constantly thinking about. One is that we see the rise of the individual investors shift in responsibility for retirement savings from institutions to individuals. They're accumulating wealth faster than they have previously, and that's courtesy of demographic growth and aging and a recovery in the value of equities and non-financial assets after the 2008 crisis and in developed markets retirement savings have primarily shifted from defined benefit plans to defined contribution plans and and that shift is is a long-term trend that we'll see play out over time um as a result individuals are increasingly responsible for making investment decisions for themselves and Maybe trend two, Brenda, is around technology as an enabler. Every company can become a technology company, and it's only limited by how it uses technology to deliver value to its clients. And in a recent interview with our CEO, Todd Gibbons, Microsoft CEO, Satya Nadella, commented that every one of us is going to be using digital technology to build more digital technology, which I thought was very appropriate. Essentially, as tech companies provide access to technology, we all, in effect, become technology companies. And with the acceleration of technology and cloud, it becomes incumbent on us and and all other industries to unlock our creativity Mm -hmm. and leverage technology to deliver more and better value to our clients to improve the lives of everyone maybe if I focus on a third theme here, there's one large, very all-encompassing bucket of geopolitics and economic shifts, um, many of which are interconnected, whether it proves to be relatively temporary or longer-lasting. There's definitely a backtracking globalization with more withdrawals to within borders from a trade perspective, increased ring fencing from a you know, within national boundaries, basically from a regulatory perspective and generally just more focus within borders as opposed to, you know, across borders. Brexit might be an example of that. And it's forced banks to realign their operating models, their contracting models, their client coverage and how they service their clients. Secondly, maybe the potential emergence of a competitor to the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency through the eurozone's uh, recent response to the pandemic which included what it affects was a mutualization of sovereign sovereign debt for the first time ever third uh, we are witnessing a realignment of traditional trade and financial interconnections among developing markets including trade links between china and the middle east and between china and africa replacing long-lasting trade links that have existed for you know, possibly hundreds of years. And maybe finally, the impact of the pandemic is forcing organizations like ours to reconsider the future of the workplace. Let me stop there, Brenda. That's quite comprehensive.
0: Wow. It's a lot to think about and throw in a pandemic as well. You think about these trends, the rise of the individual investor, the importance of technology and economic and geopolitical shifts. Any one of them could represent a seismic change But having them all in combination seems like there's this heightened level of complexity and uncertainty. I imagine that every organization's response will be slightly different based on circumstance. But as you interact with institutions across the world, are you seeing themes in how the industry is responding?
1: Yeah, I am. I mean, as I fly physically and maybe more recently virtually around the world, two common themes across the industry come up. One is how companies are undergoing a renewed vigor and evaluation of their purpose in society and linking that purpose to what they do and how they do it. And secondly, organizations are increasingly seeking new ways to generate value for their stakeholders. And I I use the term stakeholders very uh deliberately here because it, it does extend well beyond shareholders, uh, to clients, to employees, and to the communities in which they operate. The ability, I think, to successfully execute on both you know, purpose and value could be what differentiates those that survive from those that thrive in the new environment. Mm.
0: Both feel very inspiring, and it it feels like a new era where companies are, you know, taking it to the next level, so to speak, with purpose, with more humanity and growth. But practically speaking, how does an abstract idea like purpose play out with clients, with financial services in terms of investments, operations, and and workforce?
1: Companies, I think, are asking themselves how their existence is helping make the world a better place, why they exist, and why they matter. I think financial services companies are evaluating how they invest and how they operate with a higher sense of purpose in mind. And I think asset owners are increasingly thinking about the impact that every dollar they make uh, and they invest is making on how it's impacting society. We've recently undertaken a study in partnership with OMFIF, where we surveyed uh, central banks, sovereign wealth funds, and public pension funds with combined assets under management of over $7 trillion. And within that community, we found that investors are realizing that adopting ESG criteria can protect portfolios from a non-financial risk. Over three quarters of those surveyed implement ESG in their investment process and the expectation of superior risk adjusted returns is a predominant motivator for ESG integration effectively there's an, an increasing belief that by adopting ESG principles in the investment process they can align purpose and value they can drive more value for their stakeholders and that that is better aligned with their raison d'etre, with their purpose. And look, purpose will be different for different companies. Um, So the ways in which asset owners, sovereign wealth funds, and investment management firms, and corporates manifest ESG in their investment habits is also going to be different because they're driven, driven by different priorities, different things. They will prioritize different factors. One investor might be more interested in climate change and plastics in the ocean, and another might be more interested in social justice and child labor. Um And I think such diversity of thinking is very powerful. There are a lot of issues out there, and it is good that one firm might think differently about its set of priorities and purpose than another firm might. and And hopefully together, we're all trying to make a difference.
0: What's different now? How are we uh, at the bank and also more broadly in the industry advancing ESG in a new way?
1: As I said, that that different firms, different investors might value um, different factors in their consideration of purpose and ESG investment practices and principles, and I think giving them the tools from a data and analytics perspective, to execute on their chosen ESG investment practices and processes is going to be important. We, um, BNY Mellon, has launched an ESG app that looks to do just that. It's effectively an analytics tool that allows one investor to choose its benchmarks and its factors, and another investor to choose different ones. Effectively, the lack of standardization in ESG investment practices has been a hindrance in the past in terms of how investors choose to allocate their uh, their investments along uh, ESG principles. and And what we're trying to do is unlock that lack of standardization as a value. We're saying to clients, they can have their own factors and they can compare themselves, their returns and their ESG practices and, and allocations against what a crowdsourced industry perspective might look like.
0: Wow, that sounds like a whole new level of understanding and transparency. Very encouraging. So we discussed earlier that companies are responding to these global megatrends in two ways, purpose and value. If we turn now to generating more value, what do you see happening on that
1: front? So, value is this simple concept to my mind, but it's very hard to achieve. You know, how does one provide their clients with better solutions at a lower price point, with less risk, strong controls to achieve better client outcomes? And the focus on value, I think, is driving investment firms to find ways to become more efficient and effective in delivery to their clients. So achieving value in this way requires companies to really embrace data and digital. Uh, And I'll give you a couple of examples, Brenda. BNY Mellon's migrated more than 400,000 manual transactions to digital since March of this year. And that's Coming in from more than 60 clients, we have plans to bring on another 60 clients off of their long-held practices of instructing manually and receiving information via email and PDF and, and other manually intensive forms and towards digital. And this is really important because as we drive more digital transformation and digital adoption by clients... We're improving the client experience. We are reducing risk. We are improving efficiency, reducing our own cost and passing on some of those cost saves to clients. And very importantly, we are delivering data back to clients much faster than in the old world of manual. And we're delivering it at a more granular level in a way that they can digest it, consume it, and consume it where they want to consume it, and however often they want to consume it. And they can combine it with other data sets and draw insights from it. All of that is made possible by, only by enabling clients to digitize their platforms. And, of course, to do that, we've had to digitize our platforms and, and taken our clients on that journey along with us.
0: Can you share some examples of how we're helping clients acquire, analyze, and manage data to gain competitive advantage?
1: yeah, and maybe brenda i'll I'll give you a couple of examples and and they're both based on having built an open architecture model and partnered with third parties for the benefit of our investor client base. In one example, where we've partnered with um, order management systems providers, Bloomberg, BlackRock, Aladdin, and SINCOR, to give clients data and information much earlier in the day than they might have it. We're now giving liquidity managers cash flow positions much earlier in the day, or even in some cases the prior day, because of the cash flow predictive analytics that we have. So effectively, we're not saying to liquidity managers that they have to access our own portals. Uh, we'll give them the data that they want to have access to earlier than they might have had access to it previously. And we'll give it to them where they want to see it on their OMS, where they reside, on a, where they live on a day-to-day basis. And maybe the second example I'll give is, is in the area of distribution analytics, where courtesy of our um, transfer agency and sub- and our partnership with broker-dealers, for many years now, we have had data and have anonymized it and aggregated it and given it back to clients in a way that's allowing distribution managers and marketing managers to position their products more successfully and to allocate their distribution resources more efficiently than they might have previously. And all of that's made available by our open architected, modular uh, um, analytics uh, capabilities.
0: So it certainly sounds like a better world where clients have uh, more seamless access to information. And it seems like digitization has accelerated rapidly, particularly uh, through the pandemic. Do you see that this trend is evenly distributed across all the regions and countries you cover? Or are there some regions that are actually leading the charge?
1: You know, it's interesting, Brenda. I, I'm I'm not sure I can say with certainty that any one region or geography is farther advanced. We find um, that some of our clients in developing markets are just as advanced in their digital adoption and data and analytics capabilities as some of our more sophisticated clients in the developed markets. And so I think it it has to do with two things. One is country-level adoption, right? In any one country, the government's uh, adoption of um, cloud-friendly policies and practices and how much the government enables companies within its borders to Uh, adopt digital and data that way. And secondly, is a company's own or an investor's own adoption of it. And and I think the combination of these two things really determine which of our clients have adopted digital and data faster and uh, better than, than others might have.
0: Excellent. So if we were looking ahead across the end of the year and into 2021, what would be that one piece of advice you would give to the the clients out there on how to adapt to this ever-shifting new normal?
1: So I think as uh, companies think about the next few years, the opportunity to align their purpose with what it is that they do and how they do it is going to continue to be important. I think that environmental, social, and governance considerations will continue to rise up the significance curve for investors, driven primarily by what stakeholders are expecting of their providers, be that um, citizens expecting it of sovereign wealth funds or pensioners and retirees expecting it of their pension funds or uh, both sovereigns and pensions expecting it of their investment managers. And secondly, I think everybody will continue to search for value and put value in terms that can be quantified and understood. And I think it's firms that are able to achieve both of these things that will thrive in the next few years. And then there's the small matter of how do we all redeploy back to the office and what the future of work might look like.
0: Annie, that sounds like a whole nother conversation. We might have to save that for another podcast, but it's been great to hear you talk about how value and purpose will be differentiators for companies that are aiming for sustainable growth. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks, Brenda. I enjoyed our conversation immensely.
0: And thanks for listening to Perspectives, where we'll continue to look at critical topics from every angle. Be sure to download and subscribe to future episodes available on bnymelon.com and all other major podcast platforms. Stay safe and stay well.